couple of weeks back, we started a new message series called uh, Good News That Makes for Great Stories. And several uh, weeks of last year, just praying about this time in the life of our church and the thing that just kept coming again and again to my heart was that uh, we have this good news and it's not just in the Bible where those great stories happen uh, where lives are changed because of the good news of Jesus. And uh, ar around me and around you and for your, your stories, those are, there are great stories, miraculous stories of how the good news of Jesus Christ has changed your life. And we've gone a long time here without hearing live testimonies from people who have been changed by the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and I, I, I would love it if there was some way that the, the list would just get long of people that would say, I would love to share the story of how I came to know Jesus. I want you to tell me about those with the potential that I'm going to ask you to tell everybody else. Uh, more than two decades ago when I came here to be pastor, I met Mike and Pam Ratty, and today, over 23 years later, still just this steady faithfulness, Mike and Pam Ratty. And I've heard them share their story of how they came to know Jesus, and in particular today, I, I want you to hear uh, from Mike, and he's going to share with us today how the good news of Jesus Christ uh, changed his life. And Mike, you come and uh, you're among people that love you and care for you, and we want you to give Jesus glory and, and excited about this. And when Mike finishes, we're going to sing together again. All right. Thank you. i got to confess to you that being up here is not the most comfortable thing for me. But honestly, last week when I was listening to Justin share how the Lord had worked in his life, I felt like the Lord was telling me that I needed to be willing to share my story. And so when Carlos contacted me this week, uh, there was no doubt I was going to do it. And so for the next few minutes, I'd like to just kind of tell you how the Lord rescued me. And that's how I feel about it. I was born and raised in Hebron, Connecticut. My grandparents uh, were Italian immigrants, and they lived right next door to us. And my aunt and uncle and their family lived right next door to them. Um, to this day... Um, no one that I grew up with, can I tell you, was a Christian. We weren't Christians. We never read the Bible, never went to church. The town that I grew up in, all through high school, I never had one single spiritual conversation uh, about the Lord or about faith or anything. No one that I knew was a Christian. I did know a couple fo folks that went to church but they didn't seem to be any different than the rest of us, and it made no impact on, on my life. And so all through high school, I never had one conversation about the Lord. But if you had asked me when I was a senior in high school if I was a Christian, I probably would have told you yes. And this is my thinking, and it may sound ludicrous to you, but this is really what I thought. I thought I grew up in the United States of America, I celebrated Christmas and Easter. 
I believe there was a God, probably, but he was far away. And if there was a heaven or a hell, I thought God would let me into heaven because I was a pretty good person. I was better than most people. And I literally thought that God graded on the curve like my teachers did and that he, he would let me in. We had a large family. I have a bunch of sisters and a brother, and my parents couldn't afford to help me through college. So I saved from my part-time job, and I was able to pay for the first year at UConn. Fortunately, I was able to get in. And uh, I didn't really have a plan past the first year, but I figured that I would figure it out as I went. And about halfway through the first year at UConn, I had an opportunity to go to a job interview with Southwestern Book Company selling books door to door. And I didn't really lack for um, courage, I guess you can say, uh, but I was kind of naive. But anyway, they told me that I could make a lot of money at this job fair, and I was really interested in money. And so I, I thought, I can work hard. They told me I had to work really hard, and so I signed up. And at the end of the school year, we loaded up a bunch of cars of UConn students, about 35 or 40 of us, and we went down to Nashville, Tennessee for a week of sales school, and they taught us how to demonstrate the books and a few other things. And at that sales school, I met a guy, his name is Craig Hill. He just sent me a text and told me he was praying for me. He's still my friend. And uh, he was different. He was not like anybody I'd ever met. He had a peace about him, and uh, he was kind, he was compassionate, and I was drawn to him. Um, I didn't get to spend a lot of time with him because we ended up working in different areas that summer. I went to Fort Wayne, Indiana, and he was somewhere else. But I got to be with him on Sunday mornings because we'd work six days a week, and then on Sunday we'd all get together, and I got to watch him, and it became obvious that he was a Christian. And uh, I was really interested in him, but I didn't really get to spend time with him. I did pretty well. I was able to pay for my next year of school, so I went back to school, and I signed up again because um, I could make money. Again. And the next year, the Lord worked it out so that I got to room with Craig Hill, believe it or not. I watched him every day. He'd get up at five o'clock in the morning. He was reading his Bible and he was spending time praying. I was just, I'd never seen anything like that. I was just, I said, this guy really is serious about this. And after a couple weeks, he asked me if I would be willing to read the Bible with him. And I had never read it and I was curious what was in it. And it was important to him. So I said, yes. And he started reading in the book of John with me. And every day he would read and I would listen and then he would explain things to me. And he told me about who Jesus was and how he was the perfect lamb of God and how he was sinless and how he came and he died for our sins and for my sins. That was a foreign concept to me. I never thought of myself as a sinner. I thought I was pretty good. I hadn't broken any major laws or anything like that. And so I just didn't get it. He explained over and over how to be saved, but I, I, I was a little bit afraid, and I didn't get it. And, but I was thinking about it. And then the, a few days later, I was out working, and I was going through a neighborhood, and I knocked on this door, and this guy came to the door and introduced himself to me, and his name is Gene Poole. And he was an uh, engineer with Texas Instruments. And he came out on the porch, and I was pitching him on the books and showing him because I really wanted to make a sale. 
And after about five minutes, he stopped me and he said, Mike, I appreciate you coming by, but I really don't need your books because my children are pretty well grown. But I've got something that you need. And we were just sitting on the porch. And I said, really, what's that? And he looked at me and he said, you need to have Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. That was all he said. And the best way I can describe it, it was like a dam inside of me burst all at once. And I just broke down crying on his porch. And I finally understood that I was, a, I was lost and I was a sinner. And I needed a savior. And my only hope was Jesus. That's all I understood. And he helped me pray to receive Christ that day. And I want to tell you, 45 years later, that day changed my life. If you know me, you know I'm not perfect. You know there's still a lot of rough edges. But the Lord has been sanding off the rough edges for the last 45 years. And he's making me more like Christ every day. And there's a, a verse in the Revelation that means a lot to me. And, and as Jesus is talking, he says, Here I am, I stand in the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and will open the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And the door that he's talking about is the door to your heart. And I want to encourage you, if this story resonates with anyone here, and you feel like the door, Lord is knocking on your door, I want to ask you, I want to beg you to open the door and let him in because you will not regret it. It will be the best thing you ever did. Thank you. Let's open our Bibles together today to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. If you're visiting with us today, maybe you're here for the first time, we consider you our guest, maybe you just started attending recently, and it's uh, exciting to have you here, and, and uh, you're getting a, a taste of Watkinsville, just being in this room today, of who we are and, and what we do, and I would love to meet you before you get away, and I'll be down here at the front after the service, and for you to... As people are going that way, you come this way and say hello and let me put a name with your face. And before you leave today, uh, stop at the welcome table out in the uh, commons area. And uh, they want to give you a gift, want to say hello to you, shake your hand. And uh, it would be great to be able to connect with you before you go. I, I think about, as a guest, it may have been like this for you? Have you ever walked in an environment knowing that you're an outsider, uh, knowing that you're the newcomer? Uh, you walk into a restaurant or a church service or a meeting of some type and you, you realize, or at least you're thinking in your mind, everybody else has been here for 25 years and and uh, you've all had that experience of walking in a hometown restaurant in your not hometown, and the looks you get, and the glares you get, um, maybe, maybe there's some environments where you know some things about yourself, and you're just wondering if everybody else knows those things about you. When you walk into that room, maybe it's like a sixth grader who walks into middle school that very first day of class, a ninth grader that walks into a school for three years, they've been the you know, the, 
the, the older kid or they, eighth grade, they, they rule the block. But ninth grade, it starts all over again. And you're the new kid on the block and you wonder if you're going to walk down the wrong side of the hall, which means that there's something about you because of some silly game that the kids play in school and just panicked. And I, I had that experience two weeks before Christmas, my 10th grade year. I moved to a new school, didn't move homes, but we moved. Uh, I was living in the country. I was living uh, outside the sticks. I mean, that's how far back I was living. And our business was in town, and I was a part of a, a local school there where we all started together in first grade, and 25 of us would go all the way through school. We went to church together, played ball together. We lived in the same community as a public school. There are out of over 100 public schools in the state of Alabama. There are only like four smaller than our school. And we started, in my mind, I moved to the city school, to Muscle Shoals High School. And uh, I went from a class of 25 to a class of about 125. That's no big deal to you, I'm sure, for most of you. But it was like going to a D1 college for me. It just was a country come to town. And I... Um, didn't know anybody uh, personally there parents dropped me off it was glorious in a four-door sedan Cadillac um, right in the turnaround of the front of the school and it just back door comes open I'm supposed to get out and walk in and I walk in and I'm just nauseated from just being the new kid I sit down in the office and plate glass windows and I'm just sitting there and I was so out of place. And people were walking by the hall, just looking in there at me, sitting in there. And then all of a sudden, I began to realize something that my parents had done is that they had contacted a family they knew who had a daughter that was um, in school there, about my age. And they had said, would, would, she, would she look for Carlos when, when he got there? And all of a sudden, the door opened with me sitting there, and this, this uh, girl stuck her head in the door, and at that moment, I was really glad she did. I, I, I liked her immediately. And, and, um, and, and I just looked at her, and she said my name. She said, Carlos? Yeah. And she said, I was looking for you. Come on. And I'm telling you, from that day forward, I was in. It, it just it worked. Somebody was there. Allison was there uh, looking for me. And it, it, it made a difference. Uh, when we come to Luke chapter 7 today, there's a, this account where people are eating together. You, you've got a, a guy, we, we call him a Pharisee, a rule keeper, a religious rule keeper, had invited Jesus to come have a meal with him. And Jesus is there and they're eating. And the the scene is just culturally so different than what we do. There weren't chairs pulled up to an oak table. There would be a low table and cushions around that table. And, and when you had a, a meal kind of out in the courtyard like this, you would, you would lay down on your side and prop yourself up with your left elbow, your head toward the table, your feet sticking out, and, and you just would eat there off the table and talk and visit. And in this scene, one of those... You know, like a kid being dropped off at school or like an adult who walks in a room trying to figure out, you know, what's going on here. A surprise guest shows up 
and she comes in and we'll see what happens here in the story look at it with me in uh, Luke 7 verse 36 says one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table that was that description that's why they sit at the table they reclined at the table and behold a woman of the city who was a sinner when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house brought an alabaster flask of ointment and it's and standing behind him at his feet weeping she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment or you could say the the fragrant oil now when the Pharisee who had invited him invited Jesus saw this he said to himself he has this conversation with himself if this man talking about Jesus if this man were a prophet he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Don't you wish you could have been there to see that? I mean, I just, I read that phrase over and over again. And he's at, I have something to say to you. And, um, he, he, he was going to find out he was more than a prophet. He, he knew what he was thinking. He knew who was touching him. And he knew what Simon the Pharisee was thinking about that. He said, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. It was like he was saying, speak on. Well, you, you might say, you might look at somebody and say, shoot. I got something to say to you. Well, shoot. Go. Let it out. Say it. Verse 41 tells him a story. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman... He said to Simon, don't miss that. It's a, he's been speaking directly to Simon. The, the, the woman has heard the story. She's there. She has done what she was doing there and the weeping and the wiping of his feet and the anointing of his feet with the oil. And while he's looking at the woman, he's talking to Simon. He says, do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. He speaks directly now to her. He says, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this 
who even forgive sins. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, these, these messages are talking about good news that becomes um, a great, great story. They make for great stories. And, and the reason that I'm, I would refer to it as a, as a great story is, is like what you heard from Justin last week, what you heard from Mike today. About three weeks ago, we heard in the red testimony of the camps. Um, it, it's, it's not a great story because Justin had stolen hood ornaments, okay? It's not a great story because uh, Mike was selling books as a college student. It's a great story because in those stories there was a moment where the Spirit of God broke through with the good news of Jesus Christ and somebody's heart was open. They received Jesus as Lord and Savior and a story takes place that could not happen outside of the mighty work of God. It's a miracle of salvation. And when we read this story today, it's a great story because here is the, this, this woman that the world was looking down on and, and, and we see that the king of the universe, the king of the heavens, the, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, looks at her and he says, your sins are forgiven, your faith has saved you. And he sends her away in peace for the first time in her life well how does good news become a great story and I want to give you three ways uh, good news becomes a great story when number one we see Jesus will eat with anyone now, I don't know why I, I in some ways I thought this message needed to be a one-point sermon because I have just been captivated by this simple statement for about two weeks you know what Jesus will eat with anybody that's why I just keep saying it to myself I'm just walking around I'm walking on the sidewalk I'm driving a road I'm looking around and I'm just saying you know what Jesus will eat with anybody and 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 I and I keep coming back to that and what what I believe God is doing is that he's showing us in this scene a Pharisee who kept all the rules and he was clean and, 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 and he had the religion of the day and grasp and a, a lot of people would have looked up to him. He had his own house. He had a place where he could invite guests in and he invites Jesus to come and eat with him and Jesus went. And he's there. He's reclining at the table. And, and, but it's also this same scene where uh, the, the woman of the city, who was a sinner and later referred to as if he knew who she was. And you don't have to have a, uh, a, a real profound imagination to know that that was the, likely describing someone who was a prostitute. Someone who sold her body in order to be able to have some kind of uh, money. She, she was a, a woman of the city. She was a sinner. She is understood here to be someone who um, her, her body was being used in that city. And Jesus is there with her and he doesn't shoo her away. Um, 
it, it, it calls to our mind, doesn't it, how many times in the gospel you see Jesus eating with people. And it happens over and over again. Uh, last week, somebody showed me a book they were reading. Maybe some of you have read it. It's called A Meal with Jesus. And just there's so much in Scripture about where that happened with Jesus. And just even prior to this story, Jesus had a meal with a, with a publican. He, you remember, he went to Zacchaeus' house and had a meal with a tax collector, Zacchaeus. You see him in the home where Peter's mother-in-law was. He, he, he just, he, he was, here's the story. He wasn't partial to people. And that's a big part of the good news becoming a great story. Because the reality is when John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What God was saying is, is that he came because he loves the world. He loves the people of the world. He loves all people. We sang it as kid, red and yellow, black and white. We, we all, every, every body. And I think about Jesus uh, uh, coming and being willing to fellowship with, with anyone, being willing to sit at their table and hear from them and let them see him and him know them. I think about in the book of Acts, chapter 10. You remember that account? Where think about, uh, is Jesus for everyone? Simon Peter was trying to deal with that, understanding himself as a Jew, and he has this... Uh, this scene, let me just read some of it to you. Acts chapter 10 says the next day, this Simon Peter was in Joppa, a town called Joppa. He says they were on their journey approaching the city. Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. And the next few verses begins Simon Peter trying to understand what it means here to... Uh, See these reptiles all in a sheet. In verse 27, he talked with these guys who had come to find him, and he's in the home of Cornelius. In verse 27, it says, And they talked with him. He went in and found many persons gathered, and he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why you sent me? He goes on talking to them, and then in verse 34, he shares the good news of Jesus with this mixed crowd of nationalities. So, so Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. What a huge statement. God shows no partiality. And then he says, But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. 
He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. And to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. That's good news. It lets us know that no one in this room is so good that we don't need Jesus. And it lets us know that no one in this room is so bad that they can't be forgiven by Jesus. Mike has already referred to this verse, Revelation 3.20. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus loves an invite. He'll eat with anyone. And the way the good news of Jesus Christ becomes a great story for people is when people begin to realize that Jesus came and he died for all and any who would believe would be saved any who would believe number two what is required for good news to become a great story is when we learn the news about ourselves we learn the news about ourselves and in so much of the gospels it's the good news of Jesus Christ but in Luke chapter 7 as Jesus is at the table what you begin to realize is and, and see here is that the, the Pharisee and the woman of the city both were learning about themselves. They were both seeing who they are. And when you, when, you, when you get up close to Jesus, you do learn about who Jesus is. But isn't it true that as you get close to Jesus, you learn more and more about who you are? I heard somebody say it one time when they would read the Bible. They said, you know, when I read this book, it's not so much that I'm reading this book as it seems like this book is reading me. It's, it's telling me who I am. I'm seeing myself on these pages. You and I don't have a sit-down meal in the flesh with Jesus Christ today to have a conversation with him. We have encounter with Jesus when we read the living word. And we see Jesus and we hear Jesus and he shows us who we are. The woman sees who she is. We, we see that she knows who she is when she walks into this house and Jesus' feet are out behind him as he's leaning on his arm in all likelihood, taking the food, and she begins to weep. And she begins to wet his feet with her tears. She she takes her hair and she, she wipes his feet, the wetness of, his te- of her tears that are on his feet. She, she kisses his feet. She pours the oil from the alabaster vial onto him. And you look at that scene and, and it, it seems like she, the, the picture there is, is that she walks in, she sees Jesus, she knows he's there. Perhaps she, she's heard something about him and seen him work in the in the area around, she's watched him heal, perhaps. And she sees this opportunity. She walks to him. She has this fragrant oil. 
And standing at his feet, the first word is weeping. Weeping. She's overwhelmed by emotion. It's an emotional response to who Jesus is. And she begins to weep. And it's an emotional response to who Jesus is because she knows who she is. And she knows that the, the gap is wide, but there's hope in who Jesus is for who she is as a sinner. Have you ever been taken by emotions? Do you find yourself taken by emotions when you think of what Jesus has done for you? Sometimes people will say to me after a service here on a Sunday, they will say, Pastor, this whole morning, I just wept throughout the music. This whole morning while I've been here, I was just weeping. I don't, I don't know what came over me. And I would think sometimes when I hear somebody saying that, as if you were weeping as you heard the songs, yes. And I'm thinking, you mean you weren't worried about if it was too cold or too hot in here? Uh, you, you weren't worried about if the lights were blinking or not blinking? You weren't worried about if we started on time or ended on time? You weren't worried about if it was hazy or clear in here? You weren't worried about if it was a new song or an old song? You were weeping? Just loving Jesus? Last week we were in Mississippi. And guess what? At Temple Baptist Church with Randy and Esther Taylor in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, I stood in that room of worship. And I wasn't worried about if it was cold or hot, or dark or bright, or near or old. In fact, I heard somebody say behind me when I walked into my seats, a room that seats about 2,500 people, and I heard someone say behind me, it was kind of hazy in here this morning. And I thought, somebody hit the smoke machine. And I was like, not me. And that choir started singing this song, I Thank God. And they got to that chorus. Hell lost another one. I am free. Hell lost another one. I am free. Hell lost another one. I am free. And I about had a Mississippi fit right there. And I'm telling my eyes just something happened. And I just was, I was just wiping my face. And in that song and in that moment of just thinking about, I thank God for what he's done. I was, it was just overwhelmed by emotion. That's where this, this, this woman had this moment here of seeing Jesus, knowing who she is and what he could do and even what he had done perhaps. And she knew who she was. But you know what? The Pharisee learned who he was. And Jesus tells him this story about the, the, the two people in debt, one in debt 50 denarii, one in, in debt 500 denarii. And then he asks, he tells them the story that they were both forgiven. What does that tell us? One owed 50, one owed 500, but neither one of them could pay it. Different debt, but the same problem. Both of them were bankrupt. The Pharisee just learned something about himself. 
He was willing to see himself as a sinner. Even if he thought he was a pretty good guy, he was in the same place as the woman or the person who was in known deep death. Maybe the known debt was different, but the known need was the same. Both were bankrupt. And they needed their debt forgiven. And he was learning in this encounter with Jesus. He might consider himself to be the 50 denarii debtor. But he needed the same forgiveness as the 500 denarii debtor woman beside him. And this great story happened as they began to learn about themselves. Third thing. Good news becomes a great story when we receive the forgiveness of Jesus for our sin. You see, a sixth grader who never has been in trouble with the law or a seven-year-old who... I remember a, a, a kid I talked to one year about their salvation. I asked them if they had ever sinned, and they said, yes, I stole my brother's baby Ruth bar. And they, they were serious. It, they, and you, you, may not, you may have had five years of living before you were saved at six years old. What makes salvation a great story is that the forgiveness of God is available for you if you're six or 76. And it's only the forgiveness of God that can deal with our sin. This woman's open love was evidence of her belief that Jesus would receive her, would forgive her. It was not her love that saved her. The the picture is here is that as you realize more and more the depth of your sin, the the more you're going to love Jesus. I'm telling you, friends, that's the way it happens. As you, uh, Justin, this week you mentioned, he said it's like the process of sanctification. As you realize more and more of what a sinner you are, you realize more and more what a Savior we have. And you realize more and more how great my debt was and how bankrupt I was. You realize what a great price Jesus paid. And it's through his forgiveness. And Jesus made a point to address the woman to make sure she knew it wasn't the oil that she had poured. It wasn't the tears that she had shed. It wasn't the hair that she had used to wipe his feet. It wasn't the kisses that she had put on him. He says to her, your faith has saved you. Her faith was demonstrative. Her faith was seen. It was illustrated because she was realizing who Jesus was and who she was and what Jesus could do. And our story becomes a great story when we hear the good news and we receive his forgiveness. Many of these encounters with Jesus when you read through the Gospels do not turn out to be a great story. They, they don't turn out to be a great story. 
you, you remember the, the rich young ruler? He went away sad. In this encounter, it turns out to be a great story. And I ask you to think about your story today. You receive, will you receive his forgiveness? You heard Mike just a moment ago talk about it just, he realized for the first time he was a sinner and he needed Jesus. What about you? You bow your heads with me. We're about to dismiss and I want to give you an opportunity today to to receive Jesus, to receive his forgiveness. We sang earlier this morning, there his pardon was multiplied to me. Jesus wants to pardon you, but it's only a pardon if you receive it. Forgiveness is hanging out there for you to receive today. And you could right now just say, you know what, Pastor, I need a Savior. I need to be forgiven. Would you call out to Jesus right now and ask him to come in? To come in and dine with you. Come in and sit for a while. Come in and fellowship with you. Come in and live in you. Come save you, to forgive you, to pardon you. Just put it into those words that roll through your heart and mind right now of needing a Savior. And he will save you. Just call out to him. Believe. Trust him. And I want to ask you to do this before you leave the property today. Would you come and tell me about it if you just were saved just now. After the service, I'll be here at the front just greeting. We'll be changing over services, people going to different places, and you could come and find me right here and say, Pastor, I want you to know this morning that I just trusted Jesus as my Savior. Father, we love you. We need you. I pray for what's happening right now in the hearts of people that someone, maybe many, anybody that needs to be saved today, that they would be saved right now. And for the services to come, Lord, we pray, second, third services. Anyone in these rooms that do not know you, they'd be saved today. There'd be great stories written today. In your name we pray, amen.